Welcome to the emotional roller coaster that is Blokes Don't Talk. I'm your host, Braden Anderson. For the OGs out there, yes, the intro has died, sadly. It's time for us to move forward. For those of you new along, look, thank you so much for coming and supporting your loved one as they sit down with me and, and tell their truth. Uh, we sit down with an everyday bloke each week and we take them on a bit of a journey through life's ups and downs. We ask them about what is the best and the worst thing they've experienced in life. We ask them about what's the best and worst thing they've experienced in themselves. It's unfiltered, it's raw, it's brutally honest. And fuck, isn't that a sexy thing in 2020? We'd love to hear feedback on the episode. Please jump on our socials, Facebook and Instagram. I don't need to tell you that we're on all good podcast platforms because you found us because you're just that clever. Enjoy the episode, guys. I keep saying I have to change that intro, but it's kind of uh, appropriate today because I've got one of the uh, original gangsters, so to speak, um, on today, a very uh, lovely young man and, and someone I've struck up a good friendship with, even though I'm twice his age, probably because he's a very mature man for his age and I'm a very immature man for mine, but uh, I'd like to introduce Bailey Island. How are you, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> so Bailey and I, uh, before lockdown had started, um, we bumped into each other at um, a very good uh, jiu-jitsu school about um, 45 to an hour from where we each live respectively and and um, funnily enough found out that we lived close to each other and, and end up carpooling and, and um, he's got some, some pretty cool outlooks on, on life so we, we kind of struck up a, a bit of a chord but let's, um, let's let you tell your story man so uh, introduce yourself properly and, and how old were you, where were you born? I am Bailey. I don't want to give my last name out there too badly, but it's Ireland. Um, I was born in Clayton. Can't remember whereabouts to Melbourne that is. Um, 2001, born in 2001. So I'm 18 going on to 19 in about four or five days. Yeah, brilliant, man. I was, it's funny, um, I got a, a message through to the Facebook page for, for Blokes Don't Talk Before and it was a lovely gentleman um from Melbourne who's who's been on a pretty interesting ride through life and he he listened to Mitch's podcast the other day and and he said look I'd I'd actually be interested in coming on the show but I don't know if I'm a I'm a bit old because it seems like most of the most of the people you've interviewed are kind of your peers of the mid 20s to mid 40s sort of things I was like Jesus I'm I'm catching up with an 18 year old mate in about 2 hours and I'm I'm hopefully uh interviewing my my 72 year old stepdad on the weekend, I said, I think, I think 55 is just fine, mate. You're doing fine. Yeah, perfect age. <laughs> Plenty of stories. So uh, tell us about um, the journey from, from there, man. Obviously, you're not in Clayton anymore. So uh, where's, where's life taking you in terms of residing? And, and um, what, what's your schooling path been? Uh, I live just about everywhere all over Victoria. Well, the east side anyway mainly because funds weren't exactly the highest in our family. So we'd moved around because sort of get what you can. So, and schooling, I think, except for maybe the last three years of year, like high school, it was basically a new school every year because of that moving. Yeah, wow. And I've only, only gotten to year 12, don't have any interest in going into uni at this point in time. 
Yep, yep. So um, uh, where was the last three years school-wise? Uh, Sale College. Sale College, good school. A lot of my footy boys go there. Um, <laughs> so uh, hobbies growing up for you, young sir? Um, a whole lot of like video games. I actually had a decently sized problem with video games and just not wanting to do much else other than that until I think like grade five, I'd found what sports was. So I did played like played baseball for a solid, I'd say f- four years. And then I sort of, then we moved to Bateman's Bay, New South Wales. And I was going to join soccer there, but then there wasn't any soccer club there. So couldn't really join it. But then we moved back to Victoria where we moved to Sale. And then, of course, there's a Sale United Soccer Club or football club where I've been going ever since. So what was the closest um, What was the closest soccer club when you were on the Sapphire Coast? Because Sapphire Coast is mainly, obviously, NRL and AFL, is it not? Yeah, because yeah, every time I said footy, being a Victorian, it was... I was always out of my element, and the one time we like went and did AFL in school sports, everyone's like, "Oh, he's a Victorian. He knows how to play this." <laughs> Which I was the only one there that knew how to actually kick a footy, so they're not wrong. Yeah, but um, I don't can't really remember which was the closest soccer club. Yeah, no, I can't really remember it. Yeah, I'd say I was back in like year eight. Be one way or the other, so, really, wouldn't you? I think you know. Narrow or, or Marimula, maybe. Vega. Yeah. 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 So uh, with your gaming, man, you, you're still much of a gamer. What 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 platform um, do you prefer? I'm a Xbox slash PC kind of guy. I don't game as much as I used to. I still get on it when I have some spare time, which is a lot these days. But um, I don't really play as much as I used to. So I'm not on there all day, every day. So I'd much rather find other things to do with my time might just be because I'm no longer like 14 and don't see that as a life outlook. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And what style of games do you get into? Well, basically everything except for like the squad shooters. Yep. I'm not really uh, picky when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Now, uh, Career path, obviously, you've done with year 12. Um, a- any jobs of note so far? And, and, and what's your aspirations work-wise? I've had one job that, that it shut down, I think, early this year, not because of COVID, unfortunately, so I can't claim that. But, <laughs> um, the, yeah, I worked at a cafe, Doc 70, that used to be in the sale library. Now it isn't. I'm not sure what's in there currently. But yeah, that was my one and only job and my current aspiration is to join the army. Oh, fantastic, man. Fantastic. Well, tell me a bit more about that. What's your aspirations within within the army? I'm planning on becoming an artillery observer, mainly because it just sounds awesome. <laughs> There's also probably some things I can't think of right at this point in time. but So... what? Other than uh, watching shit blow up, what's what's the job sort of entail? Um, it includes finding so finding enemy positions, ordering in ordnance, and um, getting to play with some cool shit. Very cool. Very cool. There's also 
about a billion other things that I'm not sure of. <laughs> Very good. I've got um, I've got some some uh, family um, who are infantry, and I've actually got an interview coming up in a couple of weeks with a, a lovely gentleman that's been in um, uh, Australian Army and also Marines in the, in the states. So um, I'll uh, I'll let you know when that's coming up. Well, man, I reckon that's pretty much. Um, well, nearly all. I've, I've forgotten to ask you about your family structure. So what, tell us a little bit about the family you're from. Um, it's been most, for most of my life, it was mum and my brother. Even though I've got two older brothers, but they moved out when I was little. So haven't seen much of them because of a whole lot of family grief, I guess. And my dad, he was like, we saw him every fortnight up until we were like eight. And then he decided it was his time to go, and he did, until I think maybe a week or two after meeting you, I got his number and gave him a ring, and he was a lot more open to seeing us again than I thought. Yep. How, how's that Which developed was, since, or has that kind of been screwed over by COVID? No, it's sort of been screwed over by COVID and the fact that he lives on like the Snowy River and all that stuff now, instead of where we where he used to live. So it's been a bit more difficult. Yeah, okay. Sort of fairly remote southeast Vic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool, ma'am. Well, that kind of uh, wraps us through the the first bit of, of setting up uh, the sort of shape of, of your life, bro. So we might take a quick break and we'll get on with the with the deeper stuff. Perfect. And now a word from our sponsor. Nah, just fucking with you guys. We're never going to monetize this. This is your resource. And blokes, this round's on me. As we move into the next section of this conversation, we're going to be asking some pretty real questions. We're going to take things a level deeper. It'll be raw, but hopefully we'll come up with some tips and techniques that might help some fellas out there get through a bit. If what we discussed today raises some emotions for you, either from something you've got through in the past or something you're currently dealing with. Discuss it with someone in your life you trust. If someone isn't immediately available or if you're quite anxious about the feelings that you uncover, call Lifeline Australia. They're available 24-7, they care and they're very professional. 13 11 14. Alternately, have the chat with your GP. Discuss going on a mental health plan if you're having a rough time. There's no shame in it. Get a little bit of counselling. Get yourself travelling in the right direction. If the voice in our head gets a little bit negative, it doesn't magically get better. We need to introduce a professional. Someone who has a bit of rationality. Someone who has a bit of positivity. Somebody who can help us not just survive, but thrive. We need you, fellas, and we want to see the best of you. All right. Well, this is kind of um, a really cool, uh, cool one for me. Obviously, uh, you know, great to interview uh, a, a new friend that uh, seem to share a lot of similar interests with. But kind of cool how it's come about. So, um, a lot of guys I've spoken to that have kind of got into the platform have have said, uh, you know, I've gone through my own head as to what my answers would be as to the sort of standard questions that you guys go through and. Um, you know, it was a really rewarding experience or it was a confronting experience or whatever it may be. And then there's others that just don't feel like they've led that exciting a life. But uh, I said to them and, and I said to, to Bailey a couple of weeks ago, 
um, you know, whatever it is that you've been through that's challenging or rewarding is is as valuable as uh, anyone else. It's not a competition to see who's had the fucking roughest life or whatever it may be. So um, Bailey, as I mentioned before, was, was one of the um, very early on supporters of the platform and, and we usually have a bit of a debrief on um, each episode each week and, and I, I, I really uh, look forward to and enjoy when he when he sends through his, his thoughts for me and, and um, I'd, I'd already, I guess, been been thinking to myself, be um, be great to interview this young man some some stage and and uh, he, he then also brought up that um, he'd been thinking through what his answers to the to the various questions would would be and um, and we kind of said, well, let's just fucking give it a go and and see and see how it goes, I, I guess. So I don't need to give you any sort of a a warning, mate, of the questions because you're probably oh so familiar with them. But um, it's just deep end, you, uh, Mr. Ireland. And what's the hardest thing you've ever had to go through in life? Would you say? Ooh, I'm trying to think because there's currently three things, but I'm trying to figure out which one's the hardest. I think it would have to be around exam time last year. Um, that one of my good friends, I won't put her name out there because I don't think her family wants everyone to know because it's a personal thing. But um, that she got in a serious car accident. That was a day before our first exam. And um, it really threw me into a loop. And I didn't know how hard I got hit until I was down in the dumps. So it went from like one day, I was fine. Then I found out and then I just dropped. Like everyone who was around me definitely knew that it was something was up, but I couldn't agree that I was, I guess, having a depressive moment. Yeah. And um, sorry if I'm having a bit of few words in between. So there's spaces because it's a tough subject still. But um, yeah. It was definitely a very, very, very hard situation to be in, considering exams were just on top of my head as well as everything. And then getting told that, like the the day before I had my first exam that I was stressed up, like stressed of enough as is. And then going to school and knowing nobody knew about it except for me, which really made it harder as well because I had no one to really turn to that knew about it because she was just a, a workmate that was the same age as me. So it was very difficult because we were very good friends and I'm trying to think of words to say because it's hard for me to vocalize this. Um, sort of lost where I was going because it was so hard to vocalize. You're all good, man. And and take as long as you want. We're on no one's time frame here apart from me and you. So you, you say what you need to and feel what you need to and take as long as you want to do both. It it um it reminds me actually, um I didn't have a similar circumstance, shall I say, but um my uh first girlfriend, um we had a, a messy breakup which was mainly because I was a prick really and and uh and she was kind of suicidal around um my exam period and and um uh being able to compartmentalize the two things is just absolutely impossible um and uh and 
secondly, so trying to juggle all that sort of stuff, I remember saying to my mum one day um, when I was just a mess, I said, you know, I'm, I know um, I know that adults have all these responsibilities and bills and work and everything else going on, but sometimes it's really fucking hard to be a, a, a teenager and, and um, my mum, who's, who's always been great when, when I've, you know, had things go to shit, I guess, um, just just said, yeah, I absolutely no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap with you for the world, Ben. You know, the the uh, I said in the in the intro there, the the emotional roller coaster that you go through being a being a teenager, um, where you've got most of the adult responsibilities and you're new to all the depth of this emotion and um, certainly don't have the same control over their circumstances an adult does. It's it's pretty brutal. I'm still trying to figure out the words. <laughs> um, I remember when I got told, I just didn't want to believe it because so when I got told she was at the hospital in Melbourne, can't remember the name of it. Um, but when I got told she was there already and my mate that told me heard of his sister who went to the same school as her because they must have had a whole school assembly sort of thing. And I just remember hearing it and just not believing it because I just didn't want to believe that my friend was in that situation. And so she didn't text me all day, which was sort of odd for that sort of our friendship. And I just didn't like it clicked in my head that it was very possible, but I just didn't want to believe it. So I sort of just went outside and went for a run. And for like the first time in a while at that point in time, I just ran and didn't stop. So I was purely fueled by emotions. And I remember coming home and then seeing mum and just giving her a hug and then just saying, I wish I asked if she was okay. Like it just, I was crying on my mum's shoulder, just hugging her, just, just speaking like unintelligible probably. And then my mum just sitting there hugging me back, even though my mum's like a foot shorter than me which is a pretty funny sight to see because I was more crying on her head than her shoulder. But um, it was just something I didn't want to believe. And I just sent my friend message after message, hoping she would open it up and respond. And as every day grew, as it and every day went, it just grew less and less possible for what I wanted to believe. And I remember when it sunk in, it was like the next day, basically and I just remember for a solid week this was like the first week of exams too every day I just wake up in the morning and just cry for at least five to ten minutes and then I would get ready and go to school like nothing happened but then when I would get to school I'd sit in the year 12 year 12 sort of lounge or room and just do nothing but sit out the and stare out the window like sit down and stare out the window and all my friends would be enjoying themselves and doing whatever. And was it the only people that realized something was off was like my closer friends. But even then they thought I was just mentally preparing for the exams until I went and told them afterwards, because in the exam, it was basically pure hell mentally because I couldn't stop thinking about my friend because I didn't know if she was even living at that point in time. So it was just absolute hell on earth which other people will explain exams like too, but um, for a different reason. And um, the, after that, I 
was with my closest friend and he said we like he was the only one thinking rationally because I was in a whole different state and he just said we need to talk to the year level coordinator and help you out so I did and that helped to an extent but it still didn't save my ATAR which honestly at the point I didn't care nor do I care now still because it's just a number but um it definitely tore me up for quite some time the whole situation considering I didn't get much news but then there was rumors flying around that um she was gonna lose a leg and obviously nobody wants to hear that about their best friend and the fact that they also said it was it was a, a possible suicide attempt too and that just didn't help whatsoever because every day there was a new rumor or new piece of information that just, it got worse and worse before it got better and better. If you'll take that as a saying. Um, I remember the first time going back to work since I worked with her, I saw, cause there was a sort of long hallway in the library like from the door to where the cafe was. And I remember looking straight down there and seeing a woman that was about her height, had the same haircut and same hair um, color and all she had was crutches. And I thought that was my friend, but then when I got closer, I realized it wasn't. So I got this rush of excitement, then just it dropped off. And um, my workmates, since they all knew too, they all sort of, were my main support structure other than family at that point in time and friends, of course. But um, they really noticed my like very quick descent into sort of depression. Because one of them I still keep very close tabs with because she's the family friend of, is it my friend's family? So I get all my information through her, which she's been a, a godsend. And I know she'll be listening to this. So hi, Ali. <laughs> um, the, she really helped with all the getting information because it seemed like I'm asking her twice a day, every day for as long as it was because my friend, she was in the hospital for, I think, eight to nine months. Oh, wow. Which most, yeah, it was a long time. I, I'm trying to remember um how long she was in the coma for because she was in there for a, a long while. And um, every day at least, or every few days, I'd still send her a message trying to keep her updated on everything she's missed. I remember sending her like was it messages and articles about the bushfires earlier this year and all that sort of stuff because I wanted her to know that someone's caring that she doesn't miss out. And I thought, I didn't know if anyone else was doing the same, so I thought I might do it. So she's probably going to, when she gets a phone again, she'll probably see it and just have about 4.5 billion messages for me, <laughs> which will probably be like, it would probably take a while to go through. So there's probably that many. Um, like a little time capsule, mate. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to sort of figure out where to go from here. But, um. Um, like I've even 
like I I know she loves her books, so I've even got her two books to read when I can get get them to her. And sort of there's a whole lot of stuff I've been trying to do even though I can't do anything. Yeah. Which is very difficult. So where but, does um, where does it go on sit now, man, if I can I can ask. What's what's her status now without um, she's out of the coma and she's back home. She is currently doing like physio and all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't want to try, I don't want to give out too much information for the sake of her family, but understand, mate. Um, trying to give out as much as I can with it still sort of being sort of a, if you know, you know, sort of situation. No, I totally understand, mate. I just, uh, I had to ask cause I was, um, I can only imagine it'll be the same for the viewers. I'm just enthralled by, by um, you know, what this young lady's had to, to go through and, and, and how it's affected you. So um, how um, how long did the initial period, without you fully knowing what was going on, what had happened, last for? Um, like I found out the day after that it happened, but then there was a solid number of weeks when nobody knew anything because understandably the family wanted to keep it in between themselves because the, um, I guess that's the type of family they are, but I can respect that. But um, I think it was at closer to a month before I heard anything new from the initial um, info. So when, I assume it certainly wasn't before that month, but, but when did you start to sort of, um, you know, be very aware of where you were at and, and get yourself back on track and back a bit more functional? I think it started when I was um, crossing the road to go to work and I've got to cross uh, the uh, sort of main roads in Sale and I was crossing the road and I saw a truck coming and I just thought, what happens if I stand out in front of this truck? Like that's when I first realised something's wrong. It's when I thought, what would happen if I stood out in the front of this truck right now? Where to that from, was the first. Where to that from, was the from first there, time I, uh, pardon? And, and, and having that sort of scary thought slash realisation, what was the path forward from there for you? I, um, I started vocalising it with my mum. Like it wasn't initial sort of just a, here's everything. It was a, mum, I think there's, this is going on. I think I might have to look at this, maybe think about this and all that sort of stuff which was quite a difficult thing to happen, even though mental health is a fairly open thing with our family because my mum's fairly open with her with her chronic depression and all that sort of stuff. So she's fairly open with that. But me being like the, in a way, a man, the man of the house, considering we don't have any father figure, well, at that time anyway, well, strong father figure anyway, because my mum does have boyfriends. But um, was it because it was... I'm the father figure of the house. Well, not so much father figure. I'm the man of the house. Um, it was very hard for me to come out of that whole, there's something actually wrong with me. So it was very difficult to vocalize that without just doing it little small things. Like doing a, oh, I thought of this today. And then just leaving it at that. Just dropping little hints. It's... um. It's so hard, mate, particularly in the circumstance you've described there of, of uh, you know, being the, I guess, pseudo man of the house and, and, and being someone who likes to take on so much responsibility. Um, it, it feels very counterintuitive to 
then be be vulnerable enough to uh, you know explore where you need help yourself. I guess. It was it was very difficult to admit that I was the one needed help instead of the one helping. Because I'm very much a helper more than a get help kind of person, which I'm pretty sure you know that fairly well. Um, so it was um, very difficult to vocalize that, but the, that fully didn't help me. Like it sort of helped me realize I had it just that vocalization, but it didn't help me realize how to deal with it. But the way that I found out how to deal with it, I was just on YouTube one day and I just stumbled across a video called What is Stoicism? And I remember like listening to it, not thinking much of it until I was just on Spotify. And obviously when you're down, you want to listen to sad songs. So I just typed in, was it It's Okay to Cry on just a search and the Daily Stoic podcast popped up with an episode called It's Okay to Cry. And I just popped it on because I was like, oh, I've had this stoicism stuff before. And I was listening to it and it was a story about Marcus Aurelius and how he cried when his favorite tutor died. And his father at the time, I can't remember his name for the life of me, um, allowed him to cry because and be, and saying to all the other sort of lords and all that sort of stuff, um, stop them from telling him to not cry because he said that even though he's a prince he's still a person even though he has power he's still a person he has feelings so that was the day I realized that it's okay to cry because I'm a person but I also need to be strong and then that's when it sort of started going up and I really dug into the stoicism stuff which you know full well that I'm a high, like sort of very into it and would recommend it to anybody who's going through a tough situation. And I was just telling you before about the stoicism tattoo on my arm, just as good reminders. I've even got drawings of the same sayings on my wall that I did myself. And um, I gotta say, uh, I've lost my words again. Um, Stoicism definitely was the main way I figured out on how to help my mental health because I was nowhere near anywhere that should anyone should be. Considering like not long before it, I um, wanted to see what would happen if I stood out in front of a truck. <laughs> and um, it was a slow happening. It didn't happen overnight, but it took its time. But I just started thinking about what I could do and that there's no point sitting here and wallowing in my own sadness and grief, but um, I can stand up and say, today's not my day. It might happen tomorrow, might happen the day after, but not today. And I basically learned from all the uh, works of the stoicism and all that sort of thing to um, rebuild myself and not be unbreakable, but anti-fragile. Because, I love that, man. That's a good saying. Because the, the video I watched just said, um, being unbreakable is for fools, but being anti-fragile is for men that have been broken but didn't give up. And that really hit me in the um, 
hit me in the feelings because it describes me to a, to the core. And um, it really, like just those little things like that help me from my day to day till I realize that I can, I've got this. I'm not giving up today. I've got this. I can do today. I can do tomorrow. I can do the day after. Even if, if like, his, like, even though I'm not guaranteed those days, I will still strive to be able to go do them, like, and have them. And um, then, like, once I started getting on top of my mental health, I, like, started thinking, right, what I, what can I do to give back to, was it these people that I've sort of taken from, not directly, but sort of the community in a way, like, and I found this little good old organization called the SES. And I thought, what what's more fitting than joining the people who saved my good friend from, um, it from probably if nobody could do what they did, she would be long dead by now. So I joined with them and unfortunately I haven't been able to do much because of COVID and training and all that sort of stuff. But um, I joined them because I thought, well, these are the people that, like, not many people know of the SES, but they still do what they do with a fiery passion. And, like, they see some terrible things, but it doesn't stop them. So I thought, these are the people I want to I wanna be with. And they all welcomed me with open arms and their very dark <laughs> sense of humor. They definitely do that, mate. Love. I, I love their sense of humor because it comes out of nowhere and it just gets me into laughing fits sometimes. But then um, a few weeks, I think I was, I was in for about a month and I hadn't got my general knowledge ticked off yet. So I couldn't go to any sites or anything yet, but I get this call from my mum's boyfriend that um, my mum had a car accident and this was not three days after I found out that my friend had woken up out of a coma. So it was all this good news. And then I just got this message saying, your mum's been in a car accident. So me and my brother drive out to where she's had a car accident. And surprise, surprise, it was my new mates helping my mum get out of her car. And she was, she's definitely a, a lucky one because, um, it's sort of subjective. It depends on the way you look at it because she only you know, got away with a broken leg and um, it, it 18 fractures in her pelvis, a punctured lung and a broken rib and just many bruises. And it, she's very lucky she didn't get any brain damage or anything like that. How long ago was this and, now, mate? Um, I'm trying to think because I don't really have a solid time frame for mums, but she's only recently, I was still recovering. So it's only been a couple of months ago that that one happened. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's that was it. She's, she's now starting to be able to go for like decent walks rather than just to the mailbox and back, which was a massive achievement for her, I would say a month or so ago. That's brilliant, man. And probably would have had a fair bit of cabin fever up until then. Yeah. Um, she, she was dealing with her own mental health problems at the time, of course, because of the, she was obviously 
stressed out and everything. And I'll get to that in a second, but um, the effect on me, it wasn't immediate because I had gone through all that sort of stuff before with my friend in a car accident. So I've dealt with the whole, as a close person being in a car accident and all that sort of stuff before. So my effects weren't immediate, but I just remember going to soccer training and then all of a sudden I just couldn't cope with just people. Like I was halfway through training. The first half was perfectly fine. And then second half, I just remember, um, was it because we all just give each other shit so bad. Like you would be confused if we were, like you'd think we weren't friends. That's how much shit we give each other. But I just remember my good friend just giving me shit and then I just lost it at him. Like, I this it's 100% not me, but I just lost it at him. I shoved him and told him to fuck off and all that sort of stuff, even though it was this regular banter we gave each other. And then that's when I realized that, it was that I had delayed onset stress response. And then I told my coach and then was it, he just said, take as much time as you need if you can't make it to games or training don't worry about it. I understand. And then they became a good, um, was it a sort of leaning post, if you will. And as well as the SES crew, of course, because they were there, um, helping my mum and I still went to training and all that sort of stuff. So they were also a good emotional leaning post. It's funny, man, when you first started to say about state emergency service before, and, and obviously they do a, you know, um, let's say a more important role in the broader community, but, but that camaraderie that you get in SES or CFA or whatever it may be, those volley organisations reminds me a lot of the network that you build at sports clubs. So then, then uh, you, you mentioned, um, you know, that those bonds you have at Sale United as, as well. Yeah. Um, United. And those, those community networks are just such a, a hugely important resource that so many people are, I guess, robbed of this year um, to be able to confide in and, and um, lean on when you're dealing with some stuff. Yeah, it's it's very important, I believe, to have that group of people or, or at least person that you can lean on and rely on that feel like at least decently understand what's what you're going through and have some sort of comprehension on how to help or what to do. It's very important for that, especially these days when it's not always a thing that people can easily get yeah yeah well it's definitely yeah and that's very very well said you think about um even before covid you think about people uh, i guess being somewhat less social because of social media and just the way society's going and i think you've said it very very well those community organizations of, of whatever form they take are hugely important to us as ultimately social beings i guess yeah it's uh like if I didn't have those sort of leaning posts, I don't know where I would be with this second round of uh, the mental struggle, I guess. But I really sort of started to believe that that if I couldn't, that I'm trying to don't know how to word this properly, that uh, like if I couldn't deal with it, um, that I would have to find someone who could help me deal with it and strangely enough it was my mum still who was going through her own stuff so we ended up just bouncing off each other when it comes to that sort of stuff so we would just talk back and forth back and forth for probably an hour or so if we probably could go longer if we didn't have things to do we were just going back and forth on 
how this may help, this that might help, and how since I learned how to sort of um, deal with it thanks to my good friend and her whole situation, I helped mum that way, and then she helped me because, of course, she was the one that was, in a way, indirectly causing it, as bad as that may sound. But um, so we'll just throw things back and forth and see what stuck. And so we really helped each other through that situation. That's, and uh, that's brilliant. Really man. helped. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And and there's you know, um, how can I phrase it? You certainly shouldn't have to feel guilty about leaning on her during that time at all, because she probably you know at the end of the day she's a mum. So getting to feel uh, emotionally valuable to you is is probably hugely rewarding for her as well man i'd say um well flipping the flipping the coin mate because you've you've that's a fucking fantastic and, and and deep answer there that um you know I, I only knew a very little part of from what you'd share shared on our drives back from back from jits but um what what would you say is the the best moment of your life so far um it's sort of hard because I've got some small things, but I've also got big things like recently and like, let's just go from earliest to, was it latest? So I think the earliest memory of some good was, um, there's a little story to uh, unpack with this one, but um, was when, um, so when my mum said that we were going to the park for the night. I didn't realize that we were actually homeless at that point in time. Like yeah, I was right. only like, I would say seven, eight sort of age. And she said that we're going to the park to, for the night. And I didn't realize that um, we were actually homeless at the point in time. And I thought the park was amazing. And if we go in the overnight, it's even better. And this is how much just my mom did an amazing job of being a mom. She made us think that, that we're on vacation and we didn't know that you didn't take all your stuff while you're on vacation. So she did this amazing job of thinking we're on vacation. And I just remember that was like one of my like sort of highlights that I can remember going further back. But uh, the more recent things that have been really good is when I first heard that my good friend was out of the coma, like I could not sit still. Like at all, it was a good solid forty minutes before I could sit still, and it was even worse because that it was at night and I couldn't really go for a run without looking sketchy or worrying about <laughs> my safety and all that sort of stuff. Well, you've you've and, um you've got rid of your uh your sort of European hitman haircut that you had for the last couple of weeks, yeah, as we discussed earlier. It was it was borderline um Hitler Youth, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't look as sketchy, but I also could look sketchier with my new short haircut. Depends how you look at it. Um, another good thing that I remember, a good thing I remember is when I got told that my mum was coming home from the hospital because she spent like three days in ICU, which was um, like it, it isn't long compared to other people's stay there, but like it was just shocking to go in there. And also knowing that like, cause a funny little coincidence that I didn't know until after the fact is that um, my mum and my good friend were at the same hospital at the same time. And um, so sort of wish I knew that at the time. 
That's crazy. But um, yeah, it really is crazy. But yeah, I just remember um walking through the ICU thinking that she's also in, like she was in there because at that point she wasn't in the ICU anymore. But my mum was, and it was sort of a very eerie and upsetting situation to be in because my mum at the time was that hopped up on drugs and painkillers and all that stuff. She didn't even know that we were there. Like she would talk to us and all that sort of stuff, but then she kept on thinking that we were just a dream. So that was upsetting. And we later came to realize that she thought nobody knew she was at the hospital. Oh wow. Which wasn't, wasn't a comforting thought, but also sort of made me want to go there as much as possible, even though she was in Melbourne and we were in sale. So it was still a, like a decent like three hour drive to go see her. And then um when we got told that she was coming home, like that was another situation I couldn't just sit still. Cause it was just such great news to hear. Yeah, I can imagine, man. And also just to roll it back a little bit, I just remembered another freaky coincidence is that my mum, when she got moved out of the um the Alfred hospital, that's it. And she got moved into a different hospital. I came to later realize that was also the hospital that um, my friend got moved out of at the same time. So my mom was in the same hospital as my friend at the same time twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, I wish I knew both times, not after the fact, because I could have just stuck my head in and see if I could talk to her and all that sort of stuff. Cause that would have been top notch. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm um, probably uh, throwing it back on its head again, and, and it's probably the, the worst of the questions to come. Um, what's a, a time you'll identify as when you've not lived up to your own expectations? What's what's the, the worst or most in, embarrassing um, thing that you'd say you've done, Bailey? Oh, I'm not really sure because I honestly don't really do much stuff that I would sort of hold on to that it's been embarrassing. Like I'd do little things. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? But I'm such a dickhead. But there's nothing really big I'd do that makes me think five years down the line, like, oh, that's something that I shouldn't have done. Why the hell did I do that? So that's a fairly tricky situation uh, question for me to answer. Damn you and your maturity, mate. I've got about 18,000 <laughs> things that I can, I can lend you a couple of if you, if you need some stories for parties or whatever. <laughs> Well, we we will move on from from that one, Mister Mister Mature and well thought out. Um, so, what's the bravest or most honourable thing you'd you'd think you've ever produced? When when did you most exceed your own expectations? Uh, when I actually talked out about the depressive state I was in, and um, realizing that I actually had to do something about it, and actually doing something about it. And also being able to realize and help friends who are also going through a similar sort of situation, not so much the same situation as in what caused it, but also just more so the same situation as not knowing who to talk to and how to talk when they're having a deep sort of dark depression sort of period in their lives. And like, I've told you this before, but I'm, I've been on both sides of the are you okay question. And I'm sort of trying to make everyone know that it's okay to ask those questions and it's okay to answer those questions too. I love it, man. I love it. So have you had much um, 
you know, obviously with the pressures of year 12 and whatnot, it's highly probable, but have you had much of a chance um, now that you've been through that and have that, that uh, strength and fragility avoidance that you told us about earlier um, to, to be the one asking the question and, and to, to hopefully get through to some, some mates have been having a rough time? I haven't like properly directly asked the question to people, but I have had a few mates that know that I've gone through it and gone through it and came out with it. I came out with a stronger fire than I had them when I went in. So they would come to me and say, Hey, this is, this is really on to me. What, what can I do? And like, sometimes I might just stumble upon it. Like one of my mates, like would just send me a picture and then I'd be crying or something. And I'd be like, what's up? And then we'd go from there and I'd really help them light their fire again from there. That's awesome, mate. That's fantastic that you're exuding that out into the world, I guess, that people see you as someone that they can approach in that moment. I really, really hope I can at least inspire other people to do the same. Like, you don't have to come and ask me specifically, but if you want to, like, if you're on, like, you're dealing with something, I just want people to know that they can go talk to people and that's something that they should do if they feel like they can't, like if they feel like they're stuck or in a rut or just can't do anything about it. Because just saying one thing to someone can light a fire up on your up your ass. Love it, man. Love it. All right. So next question: Who's who's your hero or someone that you admire and and why? Well, I would have to have two. One's really a. Uh, I guess it's starting to be iconic for this podcast. It's uh, my mum because she's an absolute beautiful woman and a top-notch mum. Like with the story I said before about her making us not realise that we were homeless, but with the, making us think that we are on vacation. It's a beautiful story, man. I love that. Um, and she's just been like, if there's anything, like any problem whatsoever, I can go to my mum, ask her. And she'll try and find a way to help. If she like, she can't help, she'll still try to help. She's that sort of person, which I think she's where I get most of my sort of trying to help um, way of thinking from. And then sort of the second ones, of course, are my favorite um, sports. I'm not sure if you would call him a player, but the um, I can't believe I've just forgotten his name. The boxer Tyson Fury. Yeah, yeah. Because of what he went through mentally and um, what he did about it and all that sort of stuff really struck a nerve with me, which makes him sort of my one of my heroes. And it's pretty... But it's sort of like, it's like mum and then Tyson Fury. (laughs) She'll she'll love that. But it's pretty amazing with, with Tyson Fury, there's... Um, you know, you see lots of champions come from hardship, but to be a champion, then find hardship and then reinvent yourself is uh, it's a pretty amazing story. Yeah, like I'll, I'll have to agree that he's not exactly a, um, that what you would sort of think as a, a good example as a person because he has done some, was it said some not so nice things and done some not so nice things, but more so the said than done, but... Is it his redemption story is something that really resonates with me because he became like the top of the world to him 
he beat Vladimir Klitschko. Then it sort of just went down from there to the point where he just gained weight and did drugs and partied and didn't take anything serious enough. And then his depression came in and he fought that for two years before it sort of struck him that um, he needs to do something about it. And then that's when he started his comeback where he lost all the weight and then said he started doing his fights again. And then the Deontay Wilder fight that I, the first one I honestly believe he should have won just from his heart alone. Getting oh, yeah, well, knocked down. I think he clearly won, and, won on points, but um, you know, it is what it is, I, I guess. And, and being MMA fan like yourself, for me, it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, hard to place as much weight on points as they do in, in boxing when when he basically got finished um, but somehow found a way to be a zombie and, and stand back up. But in, in terms of a 10-point must-scoring system, he, he, he won that fight. It's pretty hard to say he didn't. You know, it wasn't a lot of rounds uh, he gave away other than that one. I have a controversial way of thinking. I think they might have just made it a draw, sort of like a... We can make a round two of this. Exactly. All about the dollar. Money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then was it the the, the run back of it was just Tyson Fury was just absolutely wiping the floor with Deontay Wilder. Yeah, and when you think that he's he's bet Klitschko, which um, you know is probably at his height um, at less of a disadvantage than many of his contemporaries at that time, but he's he's beat. You know who was the the benchmark for for basically a decade. Um, he comes back and and like you said in in the second one, um, just walks through him. And if in, if he beats AJ, he's he has to be one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, surely. Yeah, he he was he would definitely be up there with like Muhammad Ali, like just performance alone, not hundred percent on the uh, what he did outside the sport, but um. Because Muhammad Ali just has that, and nobody can come close to what he did outside the sport. Oh no! But, um, <laughs> good, good luck. I don't think humanity will ever hopefully be in such a state where you can make such an impact um, yeah. on civil rights and everything else uh, as, as Muhammad Ali did. It'd be a pretty impossible benchmark to meet. It would be. It would be extremely difficult. And if you can do it, you must be doing something very right. Very true, mate. Very true. So, um, as you know, we kind of flow in from there in terms of what you admire about other people, what do you admire about, about you? What would you say is your best quality, Bailey? Um, probably my strength would have to be one of them. Like not so much physical strength, but mental strength. Like I just want, like I like to describe myself as having a sort of warrior's mindset when it comes to things. Like even when it comes to just running, I'll be on a run, then my legs start hurting, but I don't stop. Like I'll continue running even if like my whole leg's burning up and it's sore. Like even if it's just a daily 5K run, one day I might just have sore legs, but I'm like, nah, I'll be good. And um, probably also the reason why I want to compete in BJJ and all that stuff is because I sort of have that mindset of I can do it. And I think it's a, a decently good mindset for a martial arts competition. Oh, absolutely, mate. And And... Um, you know, by today's standard, you might be super young, but you're young in in good shape and don't really have any significant injuries that you have to work around. So, not a hundred percent sure about the good shape. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw COVID shape maybe, but um, you know, you, you'll you'll 
very clearly go a, a long way with your jujitsu, mate. So that's that's fantastic. So you've kind of let us fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, no, you'll you'll do just fine. Um, you've kind of let us into the next question already, uh, and and or, or at least to the doorstep of it. So how would you describe your, your current relationship with your mental health? Um, it still sometimes drops every now and then, but that's far and few between. Um, I definitely believe that I'm heavily on top of it and controlling it to the point where I so I can confidently say that it's it's not exactly a, a well-known saying, but I believe that I can, I've defeated depression. Like, it seems like something that doesn't go away, but I feel like I have, like, defeated it. Like, I'm no longer its bitch anymore. I love it, man. Uh, and, and you definitely... You know, it, it depending on how you're wired, chemically, literally, um, it might not ever go away. It might just be be dormant to try and come and shape shot you on a on a shit week or, or month. But um, those skill sets that you've developed through through what you've had to go through, they'll they'll always be there, and and uh, you'll be overtly aware of um, you know when it's poking its head up and, and how to deal with it. So um, that's fantastic, man. That's that's yeah. really impressive to I, hear. I definitely sort of, I'm sure you're aware of David Goggins. And um, this is one thing that he said that, like sort of something he does that I do too. It's when the same time that like he watched Rocky, the round 14, when he was wrestling Apollo Creed. And is it, he said that he wants to be was it what Rocky did when Apollo Creed thought he won and then Rocky just got up and everyone was telling him to stay down, stay down, but he got up anyway. And David Goggins said he wants to be like that and he wants everyone's faces to be like what Apollo Creed's was. And I would have to be the exact same way, the exact same thinking as David Goggins with that. I love it. love it, man, that, that un- unbreakable mindset I- I guess I love hearing his stories about um, when he was going through ranges and stuff, and and just smiling back at the drill sergeants when they when they thought they had him broken. Yeah, I I don't fancy being a is it giving up. Like I don't like like I said before, um, being unbreakable is a, is a fool's way of thinking, and being anti fragile is a, like the way of can't even remember the bloody saying but i like that way of thinking like i don't mind getting broken but as long as i don't give up is a way of the way i like to think about it love it man love it so probably plenty of things at the moment because there's so much we can't do but what's something that you're looking forward to um being able to go back to bjj um going back to the gym um being able to Properly mountain bike again because I absolutely love that. That's one of my favorite sports and recreate rec- activities to do. <laughs> yep. Um, so being able to just go out and do stuff without any worry, like of getting it or getting fined, love all it. that sort of stuff. Love it, man. So just the the overall normal things anyone would want. It's amazing, and I think it's very healthy. Well, hopefully, it proves to be very healthy. How many people are are missing that? connection with nature even though if they didn't regularly explore it in the past and you know getting off their phones and going spending a couple of hours riding around some trails or going trekking or, or whatever it may may be um 
I hope, um, you know, a, a symptom or direct byproduct of that when things go back to normal is that there'll be a lot more people getting off their phones and going out and um, experiencing life and experiencing nature post all this shit. And nature is definitely one of the best ways to deal with things I've found. Like it might not be a major thing. It might just be a walk down the street and around the corner. But as long as you're getting out there, I reckon it's much better for you than sitting at home and just thinking about stuff. It's a great reset for for me on what does and doesn't matter. Um, case example being, I remember I used to go uh, surf fishing with either my dad or um, my sister's former hubby growing up uh, to um, Thorough Beach, which is uh, near Point Hicks Lighthouse, so southeastern tip of Victoria, um, which is pretty near where I grew up. And, and you'd sit there on the beach and maybe watch a storm rolling in and you could be you know, you and whoever's there might be the only humans within whatever it is, 40 or 50 kilometres, and, and you're just sitting there watching the absolute power of Mother Nature with the, the bass straight in front of you and storm coming along and whatever it may be. And um, it's a it's a real good reset button on working out what does and doesn't actually matter. Yeah, like going into nature, you realise that all the stuff that, like, you may found find stressful is nothing like it doesn't matter and um the main reason one of the main reasons other than it's fun and i love it is that one of the main reasons that i like going mountain biking is because you just go there and all you hear is just the birds and all the animals and that sort of around the trails but then you also just hear the dirt it may sound weird but you hear the dirt when you're riding the crunch yeah, you just and sometimes you just feel the dirt when you go over the bars. <laughs> like I've got this nice sky here thanks to it. Yeah, lovely. And it keeps going up here too. Okay, so only well, because like, only like three quarters of your arm. Yeah, like it it, it skips the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Left you some space. Yeah, but just even if it's just crashing, just in the outdoors, it's just ten times better than if you did it on a paved street. Absolutely. Not just because of the actual physical dangers <laughs> of it, but it just definitely makes you feel better when you're outdoors and just even going for a walk to the park and back. Love it, man. Yeah, great advice. Um, I'm, I'm going to bailify this question because I, I realised it's probably pretty uh, out, out of sync for, for you specifically. I think I know so this question. I bet you do. So we're going to flip it up a little bit, mate, and... and um, Take your time because I know I'm springing it on you. But what's a piece of advice you'd give to 36-year-old Bailey? You really come with that one. <laughs> um, it's difficult because I don't know where I'd be. Hopefully doing something good. Uh, if it's something good, keep doing it and finding out, find out how to better it and better yourself. But if it's something bad and I'm in a dark place... Remember that you've done it before. You can do it again. I love that, man. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to add a part B because I, I, I really <laughs> like this line of questioning now. So what's, you know, obviously I can't ask you the what would you tell 18-year-old you because you're just talking to yourself. Um, but uh, what's something that's important to you now in terms of your value set that you hope you remember is important when you're 36? Um, I think it's mostly just sum and bottom, do the ultimate good. So read, read your tattoo to us, to us again. Obviously, I've got the context to that. 
all three or just the one? All three. So I've got Summon Bonum, Amor Fatty, and Memento Mori. Summon Bonum means do the ultimate good. Amor Fatty means remember fate. Now uh, love fate. And the last one, a bit morbid if you don't fully understand it, but it's also up to the person really. But Memento Mori is remember death. So those are the three that I got tattooed on my arm as a main reminders because I believe they're the three things that most people should try and live by. Oh, and absolutely, mate. I think, you know, basically you're in control of you, not in control of the outcome, and one day you'll die and, and um, do what you know you should when you should. So yeah, I, I take a huge amount out of that. I'm not sure that there's a, a more concise encapsulation of a, a good life, life philosophy that I've heard. Yeah, and uh, there's plenty of like more sayings that, of course, I don't fancy getting them all tattooed on me, but there's like ones like, um, I think this was by Seneca, and it's man suffers more in imagination than he does in reality. Yeah. So overthinking um, is it makes it 10 times worse than what's actually happening. I literally got sent uh, that as a motivational poster yesterday by a, um, a friend in his early 20s, I believe, who um, seems to interact with the, the world mentally in, in a very similar fashion to you. And, and it um, showed a man who was panicking, drowning, and then they showed under the water and he was sitting on the ground sort of thing um, to, to, to go with that quote. And I think it's you know ab- absolutely, well, that's kind of really at the heart of Stoicism, isn't it? Even, even more so than the philosophy you mentioned before. Yeah, and, um, just Stoicism in general is... I would recommend it to anyone who's was it a into philosophy and b really looking for a different way of looking at life because before I found it I was definitely a completely different person with the way I thought because I'd overthink everything easily and I'd get too anxious and all that sort of stuff just because of the way I thought but then afterwards I now find it difficult not to think of a saying or a quote or something like that when it having a difficult situation like sometimes I might just not want to do something then I'll remember the saying from like Marcus Aurelius where it's death is at your elbow like it's just something out of nowhere but it means that he's stand like death is there he can do whatever he wants when he wants so it's sort of like the same thing as what would you do if someone had a gun to your head that sort of situation. Like you wouldn't sit there and be like, well, here we go. You'd do something. Love it, man. Love it, man. Well, as you know, I don't really need to do the um, disclaimer with, with this one. Cause y- you listen pretty much every week. Um, your, your turn with the mic, man. What's, what's a, a question you'd like to ask me or, or something topical that you'd like us to discuss. This is, the only question I haven't actually thought about that hard. <laughs> um, I might hit you with two questions, if that's all right. Um, first is, this is maybe just a buffer question, so I get some more time to think, but how are you going <laughs> I'm, uh, like mentally and everything? You know, I'm going pretty good, mate. Um, I, uh, as kind of discussed... I think I discussed on on Mitch's podcast, and and obviously you're on my socials. Had a had a young mate um, pass away last week, so I've been um, pretty 
flat around around that. Um, you know, it was probably the ultimate circumstances of a really impressive young man that there probably weren't, at least from my level of interaction with him, many warning signs that uh, he might be someone that would, would commit suicide. So um, that's been a challenge for, for me and, and my friend network, I guess. Um, I'm uh, changing... Changing, I'm need to find somewhere to go yet, but I'm I'm, I'm I've just left um, my job or will do tomorrow, um, which will be a couple of days ago by the time this goes to air. Um, just to have the most wonderful employer, but I'm doing a lot of things like this uh, platform and my gym and stuff outside of work that I'm incredibly passionate about, and it's probably shone a bit of a light on the lack of passion I have. Um, for my job comparatively, um, as does how incredible an employer they are. They're, it's probably, well, I don't, I don't think it's even close. They're the best employer I've ever worked for, but I just don't have a real fire for the job. So um, taking some time to, to think and going to do a bit of study and, and probably go back to some casual work to supplement the void in income that that'll create, I guess. Um, so I have had a lot that I've been processing particularly the last fortnight, but I'm, I'm probably, um, hopefully, uh, you know, a, a more, maybe not more developed, but, but um, more tested version of your exact philosophy, I guess, that I've, I've got a strong belief um, in what I'm capable of getting through based on what I have got through. So um, I'm, I'm definitely flat. I'm aware of that, comfortable with that because it's the appropriate reaction to what I'm going through at the moment. But, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in a, in a very safe place, healthy place mentally as well. well it's good that you've, uh, you're, you've found a way to be on top of it instead of just sitting and thinking about it. Because I know from personal experience, it's not the best thing to do and you probably know from your own personal experiences absolutely man so it's a juggle like the whole um too much time to think things entirely true but we we had a um a, a covid safe catch up the other day with with um, my, my footy boys who we had collectively lost our mate um that was facilitated by i guess a, a relatively informal counselor and something we discussed there is just you need to process trauma in life because it it's one of those things that never goes away, you know. Every single interaction you have with someone in some way sculpts your personality and and is forever there to an extent. I gave the example that, you know, you'll you'll smell a smell that suddenly takes you to 10 years ago or you'll hear a song that reminds you of a memory five years ago or whatever it may be. Every, every little interaction we have kind of becomes a part of um, the uh, the cross-stitching that is, that is us, so... Um, you know, too too much time to think can definitely be a, a bad thing, but you've also got to health healthfully dance with with your trauma and and unpack those boxes because that way, when you sit still, you can sit still in your mind and you're not um, constantly in unease because of those things that you haven't dealt with. Yeah, it's, it's very good to, to talk about it and do it healthily, of course, but it's it's definitely good to get it out and confront it and um it's it's very very good to not just hide it but not also also not to just think about it and that's all you revolve around 
Love it, ma'am. Did you ha- did you have your part two in the end after your buffer question that, yeah. that I, I answered yeah, de- to quite was, some extent? It was def- it was definitely a good buffer question. But uh, yeah, the second question is how do you think um that men's sort of mental health and removing the stigma is going and how far do you think it has to go? That's a really good question. Um how do I think it's going? So this year might throw things on its head. I reckon there's gonna be some pretty, you know, pretty dark figures maybe come out of come out of this year and um uh, and uh, let's say the side effects, the negative side effects of people being isolated and, and um, you know, doing by force a lot of the things that you shouldn't necessarily do if you're not in the great space. Um, but prior to this year, I think, uh, you know, there has been a lot of added awareness um, on how healthy it is, I guess, for men to express their feelings and... and and deal with all that and you know as a broader process i think that's been more powerful than we than we realize because because of the media and everything else we're probably more aware of the issues around suicide than we ever have been but i think uh per capita um if i remember correctly the the rates of suicide have actually been trending down it's just you know population grows so this the numbers as raw numbers sound higher and, and and we know a lot more about it these days so it's it's in our face a lot more rather than uh, a taboo topic that people don't like to discuss. So where have we got to get to? Um, not entirely sure I, I know the answer, but but men being more comfortable with their feelings is uh, definitely a part of it. And um, uh, I guess there'll be a, this is maybe a broader philosophy, bit of a offering um, from, from my own analysis of the the situation but obviously the the role of the traditional role of, of men has hugely significantly changed in the last 50 years as we've become far more civilized i guess and and um a more even community among genders races everything um so th- there will be you know a settling period of men working out their role i guess and and um and the balancing of what is both most fulfilling and also most durable. So as in what do men do to get purpose out of as, as we move forward to make them more durable and feel more fulfilled. Um, I won't say happy, but, you know, let's go with more fulfilled more of the time. Uh, and then the the oxymoron or, you know, um, apparent juxtaposition of how we then also have them be more vulnerable so that they know how to process grief, trauma, whatever it may be um, as things arise. I think, I think you know, everything in society um, is generalisation, but getting better for everyone um, and, and has extremely dramatically quickly over the last 150 years, shall we say. So um, I'd say it'll, it'll continue to improve um in, in the space in in particular i think it'll take you know a, probably a couple of decades to to work out what is the the new role of man if there is a level of differentiation to that compared to the to the role of uh females and and so on and so forth and and then how that how that man can find a new purpose in that as opposed to being the traditional traditional protector provider 
and 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 move on to a a new time and and find a new happy medium between the you know traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine qualities that was a lot more of an answer than I was half like I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, man. This is this is something that um, that uh, captures my imagination, shall we say? So yeah. I, I uh, much like you with your with your stoicism, I spend a fair bit of um, mental space, mental time, mental energy around this broader topic, um, and and like you, um, very mm, agenda free. In, in my approach to it, I, I would like to think I just, you know, in that I want nothing more than the best for all, all parties. So um, I don't go into it trying to find evidence. I go into it trying to find out what, what I think, which has probably let me go a little bit further down that garden path than most people probably discuss the topic at, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes, makes plenty of sense. And um, so it's always good to not have a bias when it comes to heavier subjects like is it men's mental health because if you've got a bias you'll of course lean one way over the other which makes it sort of I guess in a way you're trying to word this properly um you're like what you've learned sort of if you're trying to get a a bigger range of things it's only one-sided instead of the the whole page and I think that's that's um, quickly becoming um, a bit of a superpower in itself in terms of you talking before, and it's very much how I feel about how what you've um, been through and been broken up by and then survived and rebuilt yourself makes you powerful. Um, I think in 2020, particularly with how polarised and negative the media is and stuff at the moment, if you have a genuine interest uh, in knowing the truth rather than making a point and, and finding evidence to support your point, uh, that's that's powerful because the truth is always going to be the truth regardless of what people try and tell you is, is, is uh, you know, a better real, shall we, shall we say. Um, so you'll obviously always get further because you're open to any information coming in. Um, and uh, the, the more that you can lean on the truth, I guess the more you're going to stand up to the, to the tests that come along the way. Yeah, I... I'm a strong believer of the truth is stronger than any weapon, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. It absolutely like it's, does. It's definitely one of those things that you can't just put out there and it'll work. You definitely have to know how to use it, of course, because there's plenty of, use the good old term, fake news and lies that get more circulation than the truth. But I definitely believe that the truth is much stronger than any weapon there is. And there's plenty of uncomfortable truths as as well. Yeah, that, well and truly that we um uh, aren't yet nearly mature enough as a world community to uh, sink our teeth into, shall shall we say? Um, and that's you know that's another settling of society that will hopefully occur in the next fifty odd years. Is is there's plenty of things that we're not mature enough to accept to then start to take um, steps towards improving. Um, uh, so it is what it is, but, but uh, you know, eventually when, when the dust settles, the truth will still be standing there one way or the other, I guess. Yeah, you, you've definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. Because, um, like you said, there is definitely a whole lot of unsettling truths that not many people want to um, take on board. 
but once the dust settles with everything and then the then people realizing that what they've been told isn't the truth then they find the truth then what's standing is the truth so you definitely hit the nail on the head with that one i love it man another another fucking top-notch question um we'll we'll probably leave it there uh and and i I very much look forward to um our what's usually saturday morning isn't it saturday morning or monday afternoon i I look forward to my message from you about how how this episode's gone yeah Uh, i might cringe listening to my own voice and my uh (laughs) Lack of direction when it came to storytelling. Oh, <laughs> uh, mate, you definitely smashed me out of the park for, for both. You've you've definitely got a easier to listen to voice, and, and your stories go go remotely close to having a start, middle, and finish, as opposed to my uh, tangents of digression, shall we say? I've always thought I uh, didn't really have a good start, middle, end. I always thought it was middle, start, start, end, middle. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you so much. I've, I've really fucking enjoyed that, and uh, I'll I'll chat to you soon um, away from from this format. And and thank you for joining us on it today. No problem. I'm happy to be the uh, youngest person to be interviewed, and I don't know how long they'll hold. I reckon. It'll, I reckon it'll hold, man, because I I need to look into what sort of legal disclaimer I need to get in terms of approval from from parents or whatever to use uh use the voice yeah, of, of a point. minor so so i reckon you'll hold hold up for a while mate i've got i've definitely yeah it would definitely be by months probably <laughs> if at all all right man well th- thank you again bailey and i look forward to speaking to you soon will do Blokes, thanks again for tuning in. Really hope you got something out of that. Start having those conversations with your mates, with your family, with a mental health professional if you need to. There's absolutely no shame in it. If you want to reach out to us or follow along, we're on Facebook or Instagram under Blokes Don't Talk. Uh, And to listen, we're available on all your good podcast platforms. Share it with a mate. Even if you're not quite sure, worst he can do is tell you he's not that interested might come back to you in a month or two and and have really got something out of it. Thanks again. Talk next week.